Check, check. There it is. All right. Well, I got done uh, at the 8.30 service, and an 88-year-old woman came up to me, and she said, well, I came here years ago, and now little Nathan Harrison is up there. <laughs> I just went, well, thanks, I think. <laughs> so... Anyway, um, I'm, if, if it's your first time, my name's Little Nathan Harrison, and uh, thank you for joining us. The person who usually is up here, Thomas Fitzpatrick, uh, I suspect he's feeling a little bit sick this morning. Um, after last week, something having to do with drinking orange juice full of dead crickets and, and yellow Gatorade out of a bedpan. I, I don't know, you do the math and tell me how you'd feel. Well, if, if that didn't make sense, go back and watch last week's message, and it will make complete sense. Um, actually, as I watched him almost drink that stuff last week, I was reminded of some fond memories I've got here at the church through the years working with youth um, of just the different crazy, gross, disgusting, difficult things that high schoolers and junior hires like to see if they can drink and eat. And I remember years ago, there was a guy in the youth group. He was, he was a bigger guy. His name is Joel Bushman. And Joel was, he wanted to make the varsity football team over at Columbine. And so he decided, well, I'm going to start lifting weights and drinking protein. And in those days, they didn't have those blender bottles where it just it blends real nicely and easily. You, you stirred it with a spoon, and you would just choke down clumpy, chunky, dry, powdery, watery protein. And I'd watch him. It was really funny to see this big guy up on his toes, and he's gagging and squeaking and squealing trying to get this protein down. And then, has anybody in here heard of the Gallon Challenge? <laughs> yeah, the Gallon Challenge. The Gallon Challenge, if you don't know what that is, is somebody starts a timer and you've got one hour to drink an entire gallon of milk. And, and it's not skim milk either, the real deal. And what happens, if, you've, if you're not familiar with it, is it's very difficult to do, if not impossible to do. Because your stomach cannot handle that much milk in an hour, and it usually comes back up. Then I was reminded of the time in high school, this kid took a uh, dare from the game Truth or Dare. And I remember thinking, what an idiot. Okay, I was the kid, all right? Um, <laughs> and, and he was dared, I was dared, to eat a pancake in reverse. Now, if you don't know what that is, you eat each ingredient of a pancake separately in the reverse order that you would build a pancake. So you start with eight ounces of maple syrup in a cup, and you drink it, and then half a stick of butter, and you eat that like a candy bar. And then, please still be my friend after this, please. Um, and then eat a pancake. And it's difficult, if not impossible, to do. But the common thread with all of those, when you ask people, what were you thinking? I mean, what got you through that? How did you put that whole thing down, that difficult thing? Is there was always 20 bucks at the end of it or the recognition that you got through something really difficult, or a spot on the varsity football team. There was always a what's in it for me. And I think that's true of all of us, that it's a lot easier to get through something difficult if there's a what's in it for me, if there's an incentive at the end. And so with that in mind, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we look at Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter 10, we're going to look at this conversation between Jesus and his disciples as we continue through this series, Sacred Letters. And here's what's going on in Mark chapter 10. Jesus and his disciples are headed to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 32 that his disciples were astonished and that those who followed them were afraid. See, they're watching Jesus, and Jesus has set in his mind, 
he has resolved, I'm going to Jerusalem. And what did that mean for Jesus? Well, it meant that when he got there, he'd be tortured, that he would suffer, and that he would be put to death. And in Mark chapter 10, Jesus has just finished telling his disciples for the third time that this is going to happen when two of his disciples, James and John, come to him with a request. And that's where we're going to start this morning. We're going to be in verse 35. Look at this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, and look what they asked him. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Okay, that's kind of bold, isn't it? This is Jesus you're talking to. And, and James and John, Jesus has just said, he's just told you everything that he's going to give. And all you can think about is everything that you're going to get. Verse 36, Jesus smacked them upside the head. <laughs> Sorry, that, I was daydreaming. Um, that's what, as I read this, I was wishing Jesus would have done. He actually has so much grace on him. Look what he responds. What do you want me to do for you? So a surprising response from Jesus, followed by a very honest answer from the disciples. Look at verse 37. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Does it sound familiar? Kind of sounds like a case of what's in it for me. That's that thing in the disciples and the thing in you and me that we look at what we go through and we say, what's in it for me? And, and they've got stars in their eyes. You know, they, you know what they see in this? They see status, superiority, and a spotlight. That's what they see. For them, it's, it's our equivalent of the Starbucks effect. I don't know if you've heard of that, but they've statistically proven that wherever a Starbucks moves in and opens its doors, that any small coffee shop in that area actually gets a bump in revenues and in sales. Just by being in the proximity of a Starbucks, those small coffee shops actually benefit from it. And so here are the disciples, and they're thinking, well, we're in the proximity of Jesus, and so we should benefit from this. We're associated with Jesus. We'll benefit from this. And what are they seeing? They're, they're seeing status, superiority, and a spotlight. And who could blame them? I mean, think about the things that the disciples have seen. They've seen Jesus perform miracles. They've seen him, they've seen his authority. And they've heard him talk about this coming kingdom. And so they're thinking, there's nothing but great news in it for me. I mean, I'm really going to benefit from this. There's a big what's in it for me out of all this. And that's what we do too. You ever stopped and daydreamed what life would look like if it was just too good to be true? I mean, it's kind of ridiculous if you let yourself get carried away. When we imagine if there was nothing but great news in it for me, and we imagine what's in it for me. In fact, it kind of would look, if, it, if we were to see that today, it would kind of look like this. Watch this video. President Obama and Speaker of the House John Boehner took a hot air balloon ride together to discuss what their favorite color is. According to reports, they each said every color at the exact same time, then hugged and floated off into the sunsets. Well, you better snuggle up, everyone. The forecast today says there's a 100% chance of puppy hugs. There's a new iPhone app out that helps give advice to people going through a divorce, but it didn't sell well in the stores. It appears that everybody is happily married. This just ends. Stressed, spelled backwards, 
is desserts. <laughs> Republicans and Democrats have reached a deal to, quote, just be cool with one another. Great news for commuters. Traffic jams are no longer possible, especially where you live. Okay, on the count of three, let's both say what we're thinking. One, two, you're the coolest person in the world. Because there was no crime today, police have released this drawing of a frog on a skateboard. In local news, we can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind. Because your friends don't dance, and if they don't dance, well, they're no friends of mine. Today's forecast, sunny with a 100% chance of fun. Earlier today, a bank was robbed. And by robbed, I mean hugged. And by bank, I mean koala bear. Tonight, that girl who broke your heart in high school is sorry. She realizes now that she let you slip through her fingers. As it turns out, you were the best thing that ever happened to her. Isn't it ridiculous when we get carried away with what's in it for me? And we idealize and we imagine what's in it for me. Well, Jesus realizes that the disciples here, they're starting to get carried away with what's in it for them. And so he takes a minute to bring them back to reality. Look what he says, verse 38. You don't know what you are asking. He's saying, James, John, you've got these ideals in mind that come with following me and being associated with me, but that's different from the reality of following me and being associated with me. And then he asks them a question. Look at this. Can you drink the cup I drink, or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? See, James and John, you picture status, you picture superiority, you picture a spotlight, but that's not the cup I drink. Can you drink the cup I drink? And then look at their answer, verse 39. We can, we can. They answered. Now, I don't know if they answered that confidently or if they were kind of nervous as they answered that, but you can bet that any confidence they had as they answered this went right out the window after what Jesus said next. Look what he says. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. See, disciples, you've, you think and you idealize about the cup I drink, the status and the superiority and the spotlight, but that's not the reality of the cup I drink. The reality of that cup is that sometimes it's going to feel like trying to drink a gallon of milk in an hour. It's going to feel like trying to choke down clumpy, chunky protein. The reality of the cup I drink is there's not always a what's in it for me. There's not always a what's in it for me. A few years ago, ABC News, they conducted a survey across the United States uh, of teenagers. And it was just one question. They said, could you do the job of president of the United States of America? Do you know how many teenagers said, we can? 62% of teenagers said, we can do the job of President of the United States of America. And they cited four main reasons. Listen to these reasons. Number one, living in the White House. Number two, riding on Air Force One. Number three, constant secret service protection. And number four, 
meeting with and eating with different world leaders. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a severe case of what's in it for me. But the thing the teenagers couldn't have seen was the reality of the job. And Time Magazine, actually not too long ago, captured the reality of the job of President of the United States. And they took pictures, they compiled pictures of presidents before their term as president and then later in the term or afterward. Look at these pictures. You've got Jimmy Carter. Can you see how it weathered him from the start to the finish? And then Ronald Reagan. And there's not a huge difference there. Look at George Bush, George H. Bush. He aged quite a bit. Okay, next up, Bill Clinton. Look at that. And then there's George W. Bush. And finally, Barack Obama. See, the thing that the teenagers in that survey could not have seen and that these men could not have seen was the reality of the job, the effects of having to deal with things like the Cold War, the Challenger space shuttle explosion, and dealing with a nation who saw that, the Persian Gulf War, 9-11, ISIS, Ebola, a country divided. That's the reality of the job of President of the United States. There's not always a what's in it for me. And so what Jesus does is only Jesus can do. He's shifting their focus off of what they're focused on and onto what he is focused on. And he's going to tell them the reality of the cup he drinks. Look at this, verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. So they're doing the same thing you and I would do. We'd look at them and say, how could you? Jesus has just said he's going to Jerusalem and he is going to die. And all you're worried about is where you're going to sit. That's all, you're, it's all you care about. And then I love this. Look at verse 42. Jesus called them together. Jesus called them together. You, you know what Jesus realized? Is you 10 other disciples, you're not mad that they were so insensitive to what I'm going to go through. You're mad because they asked me before you did. You heard that phrase, it takes one to know one? See, we're often experts at seeing in other people the very thing that we need to deal with in ourselves. He's saying it takes one to know one. Look, this isn't a James and John issue, disciples. This is an all of you issue. And he goes on. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, when you look at the Gentiles, you know what? There's something in it for them. There's something they get out of it. Look at verse 43. Not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. See, the cup Jesus drinks is a cup of serving others. And it's not just a cup of serving others. Look what he says in verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life is a ransom for many. See, the cup Jesus drinks is a cup of serving, suffering, and sacrifice. And so he's shifting their focus. He's saying, look, when you look at that cup, I don't want you to think what's in it for me. I want you to think what's in it for them. 
It's a cup, not of status and superiority and spotlight. It's a cup of serving, suffering, and sacrifice. As you drink it, I don't want you to be self-seeking. I want you to be self-giving. And Jesus is driving home a point here, this profound acknowledgement that they need to make and we need to make. That when it comes to the stuff that we think is going to fill us up, like status, superiority, spotlight, success, all that stuff, that when it comes to that, drinking Jesus' cup may not fill us up. Drinking Jesus' cup may not fill us up. Now, that's a hard idea to accept, especially here in America, isn't it? Because what's the drive and what's the dream here in America? Status, superiority, spotlight, success, security, centered around myself. That's what we look at. And then we do everything we can to avoid serving, suffering, sacrifice. See, you know the cup we want? We want this cup. We want the Stanley Cup, don't we? I mean, it symbolizes what? The best, superior, you're the top. We want that cup or we want the coffee cup. You know, you drink that first thing in the day and it fills you up, gets you going, feels good. Or we want that overflowing cup where we think, well, I'm taken care of. I'm good to go. I don't know about everybody else, but I'm good to go. I want that overflowing cup. We want a cup that fills us up. And Jesus says, no, I drink a cup that pours you out. Now, let me ask you something. If somebody were to set the cup of status, superiority, and spotlight here, and the cup of serving, suffering, and sacrifice here, who would choose that cup? Who would choose that? Well, Jesus would. And Jesus did. Because Jesus looked at that cup, and he said, you know what? It may not fill me up. There may, there may not be a what's in it for me, but there's something more at stake here. And we find out what more was at stake right after this conversation with the disciples. Mark tells us that Jesus and his disciples, they went to Jericho. And they were leaving Jericho and this large crowd was gathering. I mean, you can imagine. This was a crowd that had heard about what Jesus had been doing, but they'd also heard where Jesus was going. And a lot of them probably imagined he was going to Jerusalem and he was just going to take over. He was going to turn everything upside down and this kingdom he'd been talking about. It was finally going to be here. And so this crowd may have been excited, and there's a buzz growing about him. Have you ever been in a large crowd that stayed totally quiet? Not for long. And the reason that's significant is because Mark tells us that there was another noise. Underneath the buzz and the rumble of, the, of this crowd, there was another noise. And it was the cry of a blind man, of Bartimaeus. See, Bartimaeus had also heard about Jesus and what he'd been doing and who he was. And he had heard that Jesus was going to be passing by. So he started crying out to Jesus. He said, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Have you ever tried to get somebody's attention in the middle of a really noisy crowd? I mean, it feels kind of hopeless. And it's kind of frustrating. But he's crying out anyway. And to make things worse, there are people in the crowd who are screaming back at him. Mark tells us they were rebuking him telling him, close your mouth, be quiet. Jesus is busy. He's got other things on his mind because he's focused on Jerusalem. And you know, they might have been right. 
I mean, think about what Jesus is going to do. We, we know now, looking back, that he was going to the cross. And if we were alive in that time, knowing that, it'd be easy to think, well, Jesus went to the cross to die for all the people who lived in the world at that time. The Population Research Bureau, they estimate conservatively that about 50 million people lived in the world at that time. And so we'd think, wow, Jesus went to the cross for 50 million people. Today, in 2014, 7 billion people live in this world. So when we think about Jesus dying on the cross, we think of him dying for 7 billion people. But it's bigger than that. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die for the sins of all men for all time. The Population Research Bureau, again, this is a conservative estimate. They say if you were to add up all the people that they think ever have walked this earth, that total would be 56 billion people people and counting that's who Jesus went to the cross for and so you could understand if he was totally focused knowing that that is what was hanging in the balance and despite that focus despite the noise of the crowd look at verse 49 Jesus stopped Jesus stopped and said call him I mean, if you're one of the disciples standing there, you've got to be thinking, what? Yeah, call him. And look what they said. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet. He's calling you. Bartimaeus, I know there are 50 million people living in the world right now. Jesus is calling you. Nathan, I know there are 7 billion people in the world right now. Jesus is calling you. Church and people everywhere, 56 billion people and counting have walked this earth. And Jesus is calling you. Whoa. I mean, if you were Bartimaeus, what would you do? Would you not throw everything out of the way, jump to your feet and go to him? Go to Jesus ready to do whatever he asks or whatever he tells you? Well, I'm not sure any of us would be ready for what Jesus said next. Verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? What? Jesus, I should be asking you that. Jesus, knowing what you were going to go do at Jerusalem, I should be asking you that. Why are you asking me that? I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. See, this question that he asks Bartimaeus here, and the question that he asked, it was the same one he asked James and John. That's the question of a servant. Here's Jesus in the midst of his suffering, going to be a sacrifice, serving a blind man, serving me, serving you. This is Jesus drinking his cup for all of us. Can you imagine? And what is the blind man's response? It's not for status or superiority or success. Look what he says. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Jesus responded, go. Your faith 
has healed you. And you can't miss what happened next. Mark says, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Luke tells this same account in his gospel. You know how he ended it? Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And all who saw it praised God. See, this is the thing that Jesus knew. He said, look, the cup I drink, there may, it may not fill me up. There may be no what's in it for me, but there's something in it for others. See, drinking Jesus' cup may not fill us up, but it points others up. Drinking Jesus' cup may not fill us up, but it points others up. You wanna know how I know that's true? I mean, besides the fact that you see it here, I know that's true because have you ever watched somebody who they are in life circumstances that you just cannot even fathom? I mean, the struggling or the suffering is just palpable. You can feel it. They've got this life situation where you just go, I don't know how I'd do it. I don't know how I could walk in their shoes. I'm not sure what I would do if I was going through that. And they've got so much to think about, so much suffering they're going through, and yet in the midst of it, all eyes on their Heavenly Father. And they say, Heavenly Father, I love you so much that I want to serve you by serving others. Aren't those some of the most amazing people you know? Incredible, incredible people. I mean, listen, I loved when Tim Tebow was here in Denver, and he used that spotlight that he had to just point to God. I loved that. But you want to know the stories that just ramp up my faith, that just get me pumped about my faith? It's the stories of people who, in the midst of their suffering and having to sacrifice, they look around and they ask the question Jesus asked. What do you want me to do for you? What can I do for you? Those are the stories that challenge my faith, that raise the bar of my faith. And those are the stories all over this room. I mean, think about it. There are people in this room right now, cancer in their bodies, disease in their bodies, chronic pain. And in the midst of the suffering, what do you see them doing? Serving others. People who have lost children, siblings, parents, spouses. There's somebody here in this congregation has lost two children. And what do you see her doing every single Sunday? Praising God pointing the rest of us up to our Heavenly Father. You have people who have failed in business, marriages that haven't worked out, jobs that are gone, and in the midst of the suffering, serving others. You know where this lands for me? It's no secret that there have been times in this church's history where we've looked around and wondered, are we still going to be here in a little while? And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't one of those people who wondered that. But you want to know what just ramped up my faith, it was coming to work every single day with a staff and a group of elders who in the midst of these circumstances that nobody would have chosen, nobody would have wanted, they said, you know what? Well, there's another Sunday to plan for this Sunday. So we're gonna serve people because we love our heavenly father. That just ramped up my faith, raised the bar of my faith. And if that's you, if that's your story right now, You've just come out of a season or you're in a season of suffering. 
and you're seeing where you're having to make a sacrifice, here's what you got to know. Somebody is watching you. Somebody's watching you go through what you go through. And the message that you are sending to them, when you keep all eyes on the Heavenly Father, the message you're sending them is this. God, you have got to be real. Because I don't know how somebody goes through that and comes through it with any remnant of faith in you, unless you're the real deal. See, what those stories do is give us profound perspective on what Jesus did four chapters after this account. Mark chapter 14, I know a lot of you know this. It's the waning hours of Jesus' life. There's not much time left, and he's in a garden in a place called Gethsemane, and there's a cry out to his father. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus drank his cup. It was a cup with nothing in it that would fill him up, but it was a cup that points you and it points me up to our Heavenly Father. It's a cup with nothing in it for him, but serving, suffering, sacrifice. And yet for us, it's the cup of salvation. Now, I don't know where that lands for you. I know there are a lot of people in here who you've been, you've been following Jesus for a little bit of time or a long time. And maybe you're just going through a season right now where all you see is suffering and you're looking at this season and you're going, I don't see anything in it for me. There's nothing about this that fills me up. Well, this morning, we'd like to pray for you and pray for you to have the Holy Spirit of the one who drank a cup that you and I couldn't drink. A cup of serving, suffering, and sacrifice. There are others of you in this room that you've maybe heard this message over and over throughout your life, or maybe you're hearing it for the first time. And if your heart's pounding right now, listen, that's not your body freaking out. That's him. He's calling you. And so in just a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to worship together. And there's, there's going to be staff and elders over here and staff and elders over here. Maybe this morning is the morning that you place your faith in the one who drank that cup. And in doing so, you know what you're going to find out? The cup you're drinking is going to make sense because he's going to use it to point others up. Let's worship. Will you pray with me? Father, we're reminded this morning of the cup you drank for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for drinking that cup, Father. And as we look at that cup, it's not one that is easy to even look at or think about drinking. But you are faithful in strengthening us through the power of your, your son, Jesus to be able to, in the midst of our suffering, look around and be able to serve others because that was what ultimately he came for. And so remind us of that every single day as we walk through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that this isn't just a Sunday thing. This is every single day drinking your cup. And Father, 
use that. As people watch, as we drink your cup, will you point them to you? Use that to point them to your love for them. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming this morning. We'll see you next week.